over the decision not to use sirens as those wildfires ripped through. At least 111 people are confirmed dead, but officials say hundreds are still missing. And Hurricane Hillary could become the first tropical storm in Southern California in 84 years. The National Hurricane Center today issuing its first ever tropical storm watch for much of Southern Southern California. The Category 4 hurricane churning off Mexico's coast right now could drop a year's worth of rain in that area over the weekend. I'm Nicole Burley. That is all for News Nation Now. Thank you so much for watching this Friday and all week. Give you a look at our primetime lineup, but first, the biggest headlines out of our nation's capital. The Hill starts right now. Just five days until the first presidential debate, Donald Trump expected to be a no-show. Ron DeSantis' supporters say he needs to, quote, take a sledgehammer to Vivek Ramaswamy. And now we know 10 candidates have qualified to stand on the main stage. Coming up, we'll speak with one of them, the governor from North Dakota, Doug Burgum. And on the other side of the aisle, Marianne Williamson. She's trying to make some news in New Hampshire this weekend. We'll talk to her live from the Granite State. Plus, it's been one week since the Hunter Biden special counsel was announced. And for the very first time, we are hearing directly from his father, President Biden, about it. I have no comment on any investigation that's going on. That's up to the Justice Department. And uh, that's all I have to say. That's it, that's all, but we got more. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello there. Thanks for being us. Uh, thanks for being with us again here on The Hill. Happy Friday, by the way. We made it to the end of the week. I'm Blake Berman. Joined today by Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester is the national political reporter for The Hill. Scott Bolden is the former Democratic Party chairman uh, in D.C. and a legal analyst as well. And Denise Gitsum, Republican strategist and former aide to George W. Bush. We begin tonight at Camp David, where President Biden is making diplomatic history alongside the leaders of South Korea and Japan. A news conference just wrapped up. Uh, a little while ago, and for the very first time, the president was pressed directly about his son, Hunter Biden, and the special counsel investigation. You heard the response there. That was it in full. No comment. No comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. That seems to be the theme here from the president and from the White House, Denise. Yeah, you know, like, I, like you said, it is a theme. It's the thing we've heard from him the most as of late on some of the most pressing issues that Americans care about, <coughs> from Hawaii to now this Hunter Biden investigation. It's interesting to see what a marked difference that is from his past um, assertions that his son was innocent and he had done nothing wrong. Well, you got a special prosecutor now. What would you expect the president to say? If he says anything other than that, and by the way, Hunter Biden's not a huge issue confronting America right now. It is for the GOP as a talking point. But what else would you have him say? There's a GOP special prosecutor selected by Donald Trump. Uh, they've withdrawn the tax charges. What's, what we ought to be concerned about if, we, if you're a Democrat is why they're going to move the investigation of the jurisdiction to Washington, D.C., because they're investigating something that happened in Washington, which is why they're not going to be where they are now, and they're going to bring the investigation to Washington. But I think it goes to show that, like, 
this is a problem, clearly, for the president that he can't even talk it's about his own a, son. It's just a question, and he gave the answer, and it's time to move on. <laughs> is it? Well, I don't, I don't think the White House want, want, wants the president to be in this situation. He literally can't say anything more than no comment at this point. I mean, I guess he could, but you know, for, for everyone's best interest, he can't say anything more than no comment. Um, but I will say this. This press conference will now be dominated. This press conference with the leaders of South Korea and yep. Japan will now be dominated by his son. Hunter. But what about what Denise says? He used to expand upon this more and now he doesn't. It's, it's kind of like he's, he's boxed in on this one now. A- absolutely. And that's a problem. That, that's a problem. I mean, he finds himself uh, not being able to say more. and He can't. Uh, a massive miscalculation by Joe Biden over time uh, in how to deal with his son. And, you know, we have to always preface it by talking about a father to his son and addiction. And and those things are all true. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what we now know, you're right. This uh, this gathering, this trilateral meeting is historic. It's a Mm -hmm. huge deal. China or Japan and South Korea, historic Mm -hmm. hatred, like intense antipathy between these two cultures Mm -hmm. for a century to bring them together is a big deal. What's he talking? What's what are we talking about? And what is the what is the buzz around Joe Biden today? What does he say about the criminal investigation into his son? And this uh, effulgently makes clear what the problem for Joe Biden was in the past about not being able to get Hunter Biden off the front page. He was asked a question by the reporter, I believe, from the Associated Associated Press. Then it was, oh, by the way, can you please comment? Because, by the way, it's been a full week uh, that's gone and, and he hasn't been asked. Chris mentioned, Denise, this trilateral meeting at Camp David, the president of the United States and the leaders of Japan and South Korea. It is a big deal as they try to come together and try to confront China. This is a classic case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. (laughs) I mean, the cozier, the sort of the new axis of evil, if you will, the Russia, North Korea, China alliance becomes, the more military um, practices are going, drills, I think they're calling them, are happening to which the U.S., Japan, and South Korea are responding. And so Americans, I just saw a Pew report that said Americans have recognized China as the greatest threat to us in the future, foreign threat. And so we understand what's at stake, and I think that we're, I think the other partners in that region are starting to notice as well. And one last thing I'd say is Kim Jong-un recently called it a neo-Cold War that was developing in that region, which I really think is a fitting label for what's starting to happen. We'll dig uh, deeper into the Hunter Biden issue uh, coming up as well here on The Hill. New polling out. We'll get Chris's thoughts, uh, more of them coming up. Meantime, though, uh, turning now to the race for the Republican presidential nomination, just five days away from the first primary debate. And so far, there's no definitive answer on whether the front runner, the former president, Donald Trump, will attend. The chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel, told us on this show last night that she has a feeling that Trump will sign the party's loyalty pledge eventually, though she also <laughs> told us at least 24 hours ago she hadn't been told definitively if Trump would or would not go. Meantime, Ron DeSantis says he is prepared to take the debate stage Regardless of whether the 45th president shows up, documents, by the way, are now showing that DeSantis's debate strategy have been leaked. And News Nation political contributor and former uh, Trump White House press secretary Sean Spicer predicted at least part of this strategy from uh, Ron DeSantis earlier this week. Watch. I think that if I were Ron DeSantis, I'd be more concerned about Vivek Ramaswamy than I am about Donald Trump Mm. right now. Because if he comes out of that debate mm-hmm. looking real sharp, people want right. to up that 6% to 10 or 12, he's going to be the guy to watch. 
All right, so we'll get to uh, Vivek and Ron DeSantis here momentarily. But, of course, the big question is, will or won't Donald Trump go? New reporting out from The New York Times basically says it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be surprised if Donald Trump did attend. I mean, he's been saying for so long that he's he's the front runner. He wants us literally to be the vice presidential debate. (laughs) And I think there's a strategy in that because we know that Ron DeSantis is going to be target number one, enemy number one of of everyone on that stage. Because what the Vivek Ramaswamy's and the Tim Scott's and the Mike Pence's, et cetera, mainly Ramaswamy and um, Scott is they want to they want to take Ron DeSantis out to get into that second place spot. Um, So a debate stage without Trump makes it easier to do that. And without Trump there, DeSantis becomes the target. But more importantly, it will be really interesting whether the GOP or the viewership uh, to see what's going on and who gets attacked. Uh, Will they watch, if you will? Otherwise, many of us, whether you're Democrat or Republican, believe this is about the Donald Trumpettes, if you will, as opposed to Donald Trump. <laughs> the Trumpettes. I wish that we would spend more time talking about the potential of what our future leadership could be other than Trump. I mean, I say that as a avowed Tim Scott fan, of course, but I think that there's so much that we can talk about casting a future glance at um, a post-Trump era, which I can dream about but may never happen. Um, <laughs> but I think that wasting their time talking, trying to kill each other take each other out is is just that it's a waste of time i think they should be distinguishing themselves on their own merits chris um this decision apparently from donald trump well we don't know that what the decision is right uh because of course trump always leaves maximum Seems like wiggle it's room heading in that direction people, people are saying I've, I've often heard him say that people are saying i won't debate but i will oh um i think it's you know this is a mistake um okay. and for him not to appear yeah for him okay. not to appear so he can't lay low so you got to do something else. Mm-hmm. And as Ronnie D learned when he tried to launch his campaign with Elon Musk, uh, it's not super, right? Um, it's the other thing. Trump will generate, if he does this, a bajillion viewers of, on Twitter, no doubt. But they're not the viewers he needs. The viewers he needs are going to be cable news-facing, right. likely voters in Iowa and New Hampshire that he needs to talk to. And I also think that given all of the criminal charges against him, this is not the time to lay low. This is the time. If I, if I were Donald Trump, I wouldn't be here because I'd be super rich and I wouldn't be running for president either. But, <laughs> if, what about- but, it, but if I was Donald Trump, I'd go turn myself in at the Fulton County Courthouse in the morning and I'd get on Trump Force One and I'd fly up to Milwaukee and I'd say, I'm here. I can take it. All of you Lilliputians can't take me down. Let's go. What about, real quick, before we move on, this DeSantis debate strategy that was leaked by oh. his team, in which one of the, the four points was hammer Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't think we had Ron DeSantis going after Vivek Ramaswamy on our bingo card to, to start off this primary DeSantis season. has a problem with Ramaswamy. He also has a problem with Chris Christie, uh, and, and that could certainly be there. But the bigger story when it gets to this memo is the fact that it was leaked. Mm-hmm. And the, the bitter recriminations and terrible infighting in DeSantis land and this coming out, the, the friction between the super PAC and the campaign and all of the strategic mistakes and all of the errors to this point have dramatically undercut Ron DeSantis's core argument, which is Trump without the drama, Trump with competency, yeah. and he's not doing that. All right. Well, earlier today, I sat down with the North Dakota governor, Doug Burgum, who will be on the debate stage next week. He runs one of the largest energy producing states, but he's trying to up his title to president of the United States. 
I asked him if this is a make or break moment for his campaign. I wouldn't view it that way at all, okay. uh, but we're very excited, uh, excited to have made the debate stage uh, back in July. Uh, we're, of course, going to be the least known uh, person on the stage, and there's a great opportunity for us to tell the story of who we are and also uh, talk about the things that we know are important to all Americans, which includes the economy, energy, and national security. And we know for sure that under President Biden, we're going in a 180 degrees in the wrong direction on all three of those topics. So if you, if you say you're the, the least known, how do you make some noise? How do you get people to know you and, and know your story? Is it go after Donald Trump? Is it tell your story? Is it a, a, a mix? How, how do you make that happen? Well, every candidate, of course, uh, is in a different starting point coming into this. Some have held national office. Uh, some have run for president before. Uh, some have been pundits on national TV programs. But as a, you know, someone who spent almost my entire career uh, in business, uh, been you know governor now for six and a half years uh, and having a great track record there and what we're doing in North Dakota. But we're coming in uh, as an outsider, outside of D.C. and as a business leader. And we just have to tell the story. You know, grew up in a small town, uh, started a software company uh, in my mid-20s, literally bet, bet the farm to do that. Uh, went from 10 people to 2,000, had customers in 132 countries, uh, you know, sold the company for over a billion dollars. And that is, uh, you know, a credit to the kids from the 220 small towns that that, uh, that, that helped build that company. Right. And so we, you know, we used to tell that story and talk about what we've been able to do to reduce taxes, cut red tape, and what we need to do going forward on the economy, energy, and national security. Donald Trump, of course, is former president, polling first, unknown at this point, or at least he hasn't committed to going to the debate. I, I wonder for folks like yourself who you want to tell your story, you want as many eyeballs as possible. If Donald Trump doesn't show up, you know what that does to ratings. Right. Most likely fewer people are going to tune in. Do you want him there? Because it would bring eyeballs. Well, I, I think it's a every candidate's got to make their own decision, including the former president, on whether it's a, the right strategy for him or not. And it's what I, I love, uh, you know, being a private sector guy. Uh, competition, strategy, what's the right moves for people to make? Because this, this is a competition. Uh, and I respect whatever decision uh, people make. And we, uh, we know that uh, fewer people on stage, the more time we have. Okay, uh, so that's, I guess, so one way to look at it. That's one plus. And okay. uh, the other way, uh, you get higher ratings. So we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're thrilled to be part of it either way. You say we will unlock the best of America and improve the everyday life of America uh, through the economy, energy, and national security. You come from one of the biggest energy-producing states, obviously. You run that state as the governor of North Dakota. What does energy policy need to look like in this country as you see it on a national scale? Well, I would just say, in the simplest terms, we got to start selling energy to our friends and allies, stop buying it from our adversaries. And I'm just not just talking about uh, oil and gas. I'm talking about the fact that the Biden administration's got a policy that could have been written by China. Essentially, it's a war on liquid fuels. We're going to say we're going to eliminate internal combustion machines uh, in our country, and we're going to go all EVs. We're going to subsidize 500,000 charging stations through the you know Inflation Reduction Act, which is the Inflation Creation Act. Uh, we're going to subsidize people buying EVs. And then guess what? Where are batteries? You know, China controls 85% of the rare earth minerals. So a country that we're in a cold war with, we're going to decide we're going to get all of our 
energy for batteries, you know, from them. And then you can't you can't permit a power line to charge those batteries in this country because, you know, we block every piece of infrastructure. Uh, it is just absolute doesn't match economics, doesn't match common sense. It doesn't match physics. Uh, any of this stuff is just completely crazy that the Biden administration is doing. It's empowering foreign dictators with the energy policy we have. If you cared about the environment, you'd want to have every ounce of energy created here in the United States. And we have the ability not only to not only to provide, you know, baseload power, not only to do that, but think of New England. When I'm camping in New England, 41 percent of the people in New England are heating their homes with 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 heating oil. Heating oil. We've got clean natural gas in Pennsylvania, but you can't get a, a permit for a pipeline to go through New York to do that. So at the time of the Russian invasion, which, by the way, wouldn't have happened if we'd have been selling energy to Europe. I mean, Putin was able to do that because he was completely emboldened because all of Western Europe was dependent on him for energy. We were offloading 400,000 barrels of oil a day into New England at the time that that Putin invaded Ukraine when they could have been using clean natural gas from Pennsylvania. So there isn't a thing about the Biden energy policy, including the sanctions, because then belatedly we put sanctions on Russia. And so that but the whole world didn't follow along with us. And so now Putin is selling. He's become China's gas station. He's selling oil and gas at 20 to 30 percent off to China. I I, got to run. But you got a promotion in your back pocket to try to get you to the second debate. we're already there. We got, you know, 50,000 donors. Uh, and the 3%, though, you got to hit. Well, we, we do, but uh, we'll have a plenty of name recognition by the time they take that poll. And so we're confident we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be in this race all the way to January. Governor Doug Burgum, got to leave it there. Great. Thank you, Thank you Blake. It. All right, Julia, uh, Doug Burgum, he is a sitting governor. Yeah. He is a billionaire. Yeah. He's also barely polling. What's the path forward here? For it's him? hard. What's the to, goal? It's hard to see a path forward here. Um, you know, never say never, but like I said, it's hard to see one forward. And in terms of the goal, look, I think people run for president for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. and they don't always disclose them. Sometimes it's for a cabinet position, mm-hmm. for vice presidential ambition, to grow their name ID. And Doug Burgum is certainly growing his name ID. I mean, compared to when he first announced he was running for president, I remember calling up Republican strategists and consultants. And they said, who? I'm sorry, I can't comment because I have no idea who this is. So it could be for a number of reasons, but it's hard to see a path. All right. Well, coming up here on The Hill, I'll chat with the Democratic presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson, why she's focusing on New Hampshire right now and the issue that she has with Bidenomics. But first, the Hunter Biden investigation. We heard from President Biden today, sort of. So what's next for the president, the White House and his campaign when The Hill returns? Some of them include that. Um, Public opinion about this case and its handling only matters after it's reached its conclusion, right? So there is extraordinary pressure now on David Weiss and on the Justice Department to really deck Hunter Biden, uh, (laughs) to really bring the hammer down on this guy. And, you know, the Washington Post reported today uh, that Hunter Biden has been living at the White House since mid-June. Um, this is a problem, right? This is a serious problem. You have a guy who is the target of a widening Justice Department investigation living in the White House. That's a that's an optics problem, but it's also just practically speaking a problem. And 
I don't know all of Joe Biden's struggles, and he has had many that we publicly know about with his family, loss of his first wife, right. the loss of, of a daughter, loss of a son, all of these things. I understand that he was protective of his son. Hunter Biden can't be at the White House anymore. He can't live at the White House. That's not going to work. And until Joe Biden is able to love his son with the toughness required to say, you can't be here. You can't be in this administration. You're not adjunct to this administration. And we're not hanging out. Uh, we can talk. We will. We can be together. But you can't be in this building. That, to me, just points to yeah, how hard this is for them 51 to wrestle per, with. 51% of Democrats confident in the DOJ's handling investigations, basically one in two. 13% of Republicans, that's basically one in eight. Mm. And there's your divide. So you're saying I was right. Yeah, you're saying saying Chris is, is, Chris is, is always right. right. That's here, what you're saying. Here's, here's uh, Abby Lowell. Um, attorney to Hunter Biden earlier today. After five years and all the things that were investigated, if anything changes in what happens next, then people should ask, it has to be something other than the facts or the law that has been infecting the process at this point. So Chris, what you got Abby Lowell saying there is, well, now politics are in play in this one, trying to defend Hunter Biden. Get off of television. <laughs> First of all, he, he reminds me of the Martin Short uh, character from Saturday Night Live, the guy smoking the cigarettes, uh, the, the very honest lawyer. He's, he's a very, very good and well-paid attorney, good, though. Very very well-paid attorney. attorney. Yeah. But get off of TV. Find a plea deal for your client. Don't be in the discussion. Hunter Biden made millions and millions of dollars. <clears throat> There's a word that I'm not going to use, but taking advantage of his father's famous name and position. It's time. The piper is. It's time to pay the piper. It's over now, and you've got to find a plea deal. You've got to suck it up. You've got to make this happen. And I will say this: Joe Biden's chances of being reelected, in part, depend on whether or not Hunter Biden has been convicted of and is serving or has served some penalty, whether that's probation, whether that's some jail time, whatever. His chances will dramatically improve if Hunter Biden has been punished for the crimes that he's committed, the, and the sooner the better. And nobody knows what that timing is going to be. And nobody knows what that timing is going to be. All right, well, coming up, President Biden's upcoming visit to fire-ravaged Maui. He's faced some criticism, some would say heavy criticism, over the response. So what do leaders expect from him on Monday? We will go live out to Hawaii coming up after the break. Welcome back to The Hill on News Nation. Recovery efforts underway now, of course, in Hawaii following the deadliest wildfire in this country in more than a century. The death toll now at 111, with about 58% of the area having been searched. Hundreds, though, are still missing. Some officials now being criticized for failing to sound the alarms as the fires barreled toward the city of Lahaina. The governor from that state, Josh Green, spoke about the situation on Cuomo last night. What we had was a fire hurricane coming 81 miles per hour across the community at 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and in minutes, it engulfed the entirety of that community. If we had run the sirens according to the team that was supposed to make that decision, it is just as likely, I'm not saying we shouldn't have done it, but it is just as likely people would have come out of their houses and gone up the mountain right into the fire. Joining us now is the Hawaii State Senator, Tim Richards. Uh, Tim, thanks for being here on the Hill. I can't imagine what you've gone through over the last week plus. You hear those comments there from the governor. Do you agree with him or the way that are, are you comfortable 
with the way the decisions were made? Um, you know, again, Alon, thanks for having us. Uh, comments are made as far as the the chain of decision making, and it's not fair for me to weigh in and critique that as I don't have all the information. We do have an ongoing process right now that we'll be reviewing all of this and make determinations on that. The We're talking about the alarms. We're talking about the siren systems that we have in place, and those are for all emergencies. So waiting to see what the the third party, and we're quite sure it's going to be a third party evaluator to go through it and review all of this. You know, we're being told um, that people in Lahaina were alerted the following day on their phones about a car crash, yet they weren't alerted on their phones about the fire. Why, why was that the case? Again, um, it comes back to the alert system. I'm from the Big Island of Hawaii, which is a different county, and I came up from county to the Senate. So I'm keenly aware of what we do in our county as far as uh, emergency management, emergency notification. Uh, but each county has different policies going forward, and so that will be reviewed in the forthcoming evaluation of the after-action report, if you will, of what's going to happen. So we're going to have to wait and see what they find. What help do you need right now, Tim? You know, um, the initial shock of what we've been through as a county, as a as a state, is still with us. And there's a obviously loss of home, but there's also emotional cost for our people right now. And I have to say the outpouring from our state has been just so appreciated by so many. The The donation of coming from state, all around the state are, is phenomenal. But even more than that, from coming from continental U.S. has also been great. We've had donations from the, the nation of Japan as well as South Korea. People are really pouring out their hearts to help us out. What we're going to need is going forward uh, the, the necessities for life, food, shelter, security. And one of the things that our FEMA has done, their boots on the ground there now, which is very appreciated. I think we have about 500 of them. We've housed 1,500 people from the Lahaina area, uh, in both the hotel rooms and the VRBO, Airbnb type of thing. Where we're going to need help is not the immediate right now, but going to the future because this rebuilding is going to take a long time, and the infrastructure needs are going to be high. So that's what I'm looking forward through government, through the federal side, to help us with that infrastructure going forward. All right, State Senator Tim Richards, uh, thank you, sir, for the time. Um, we wish you all the best out there in Hawaii, and, and we know that the, the federal efforts and, and many more beyond that will continue there. Uh, State Senator Tim Richards, thank you, sir. Thank you. Aloha, All right. everyone. Um, so we know that President Biden is going to be heading there on Monday. What does he need to say? What does he need to do? I'm not sure there's much that he can say at this point. I feel like... Um, what we should be focused on, all of us, including President Biden, is not scoring political points or making an appearance, but pouring our hearts and our prayers into the people. This is a time to grieve. This is a not, not a time to be political. There will be a time when all mistakes, uh, accused or you know, true or not, will be accounted for, and that's not now. Um, not so much political points. I agree with you. But I, I would hope that he would make a major announcement to invest in the infrastructure and rebuilding. Uh, there were a lot of local 
pieces that failed the investigation by the state, but perhaps FEMA or the Fed should investigate this too so it never happens again because this is, if you look at that area, that area was devastated. I mean, uh, but this, this alarm system or siren system, this idea that you don't use it because people are going to go up mountain or, or north versus south. Let me tell you something. If you put the alarm system, and this is so silly, you, you turn the alarm system or sirens on, and if you say you're going to go north and you see flames, you're not going north. You're going to go somewhere else to get away from those yeah, flames. Yeah. And So it doesn't make a lot of sense conceptually. And by the way, we'll never know because they never turned on the sirens. Maui has a robust siren warning system. Someone there texted me in the, in the instance of a tsunami or hurricane, yet the sirens weren't activated before people ran for their lives on August 8th. There were also no warning alerts sent to people's phones, yet the following day we're hearing that Lahaina residents received alerts on their cell phones about a car crash in the area. And As I asked him, why is that the case? There are some reports out here that say half or more of those sirens wouldn't even work or didn't even work, weren't functional, if you will, and the electric company knew of these dangers of their, their electrical grid and these wires and these poles and stuff that could spark and cause fires. You're an attorney. What's the litigation going to be like here? Oh, there are three or four pieces right now. Negligence uh, is the base core of it. Uh, knew or should have known. Uh, perhaps some intentional torts, if you will. If you knew or should have known, then, you know, you could argue that this was intentional on their part. And other than negligence, um, failure to provide a safe environment for uh, the community. I mean, take your pick, but there are four lawsuits. There are going to be more here because what's the insurance carriers going to do? Are they going to help rebuild? Are they going to reinvest in these, these homes that were covered? Uh, so lots of litigation to come. Plaintiff's lawyers are going to love this. They're on their way to Hawaii right now. <laughs> uh, back to President Biden. I think President Biden has a real... I, I think many people would call it a gift for being compassionate, particularly in these situations. Um, he has been seen as the consoler in chief yep. in many situations. I think we can expect to see that, um, you know, especially after he got a lot of pushback last week for his no comment. No comment. He was in Delaware on yeah. vacation on the beach, Mr. President. What exactly. do you want to say? No comment. Exactly. So I, I, I was surprised because he has in the past shown that very compassionate nature, but I expect to see that next week. Uh, so Denise gave the correct uh, answer rooted in Christian charity and love about why uh, that we shouldn't be talking about political blame. Let me offer the cynical reason why you shouldn't offer political uh, attacks and blame. doesn't stick and it doesn't work. We, we talk a lot about George uh, W. Bush and Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina was a once-in-a-generation natural disaster story. It was this enormous thing. Do you think Donald Trump lost any votes for throwing paper towels in Puerto Rico? No. Democrats love to talk about it, right? They love to talk about who this is. You know what this is like? This is like presidential vacations. The other side always says, oh, he spent 127 days on vacation. <laughs> voters don't care. Persuadable voters don't care about this. And six weeks from now, after Joe Biden has been and gone, no one is going to say, I blame Biden for the for the fires. And everybody wants to see the best, of course, for, uh, for Lahaina, for Maui. If you would like to help with the recovery efforts in that area, there are many ways to do so. But here's just a couple. You can call the Red Cross hotline, the number right there on your screen. We've also set up a link. All you have to do is head to newsnationnow.com backslash help. Well, coming up, uh, Marianne Williamson. She is challenging, as you might know, President Biden in the Democratic primary. And she's getting some help from Hollywood. We will talk with Marianne Williamson coming up right after the break here as The Hill on News Nation returns.
only $39.95. Plus, you'll also receive a bottle of vitamin XLD3 absolutely free. And it's backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee. If you're not satisfied, just return the unused portion for a full refund of the purchase price. If you're living with joint or muscle pain caused by inflammation, try Omega XL and see the difference it can make in your life. Order now to get this special offer. Two bottles of Omega XL plus vitamin XL D3 for only $39.95. Act now. What's a Subway series? It's the perfect sub roster. Just give us a number, we got the rest. Four. Supreme Meats. Six. The Boss. Fifteen. Titan Turkey. Ninety-nine. Grand Slam Ham. I'm going to need 23 of those. It's my turn to bring the snacks. Tonight, it's an epidemic, and it's ravaging American communities. So who is smuggling fentanyl across the border and into your community? The shocking answer. Tonight at 6, 5 Central on Elizabeth Vargas Reports. Welcome back to The Hill. The Democratic presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson, edging up a bit in national polling. A new national survey shows her now with 9% uh, support among Democratic voters. But as you can see there... President Biden still has a commanding lead at 72% support from those surveyed. Williamson will be hitting the key early voting state of New Hampshire this weekend as she opens up her office there. She's bringing along a special guest with her, by the way, progressive activist and actor Frances Fisher, of course, known for her roles in many films. Hi, Frances. Uh, Hi. You might remember her from a, from a little movie known as The Titanic. Uh, thank you both for joining us here on The Hill. We appreciate the time. Uh, Marianne, let's let's start with you uh, running in the Democratic primary, of course, running against President Biden. And here's what you say about his signature issue, Bidenomics. You say, quote, Bidenomics is a Band-Aid on a broken aorta. People who work at the White House seem to have no clue the level of rage and despair that is out there. This is 2016 all over again. What's your issue with President Biden and his economic approach? Well, Bidenomics presents an amelioration of stress. It says to people who are living within what is essentially an unjust economic system, we want to help you so that it's not so terrible. What we need to do is to end the injustice. When you have 70% of Americans who report that they live with chronic economic stress, when you have a majority of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, a majority of Americans who could not afford to absorb a $400 unexpected expenditure, that means you need an economic U-turn. And the president is not offering that. I'm offering that in the form of universal health care, a tuition-free college and tech school. There should be a guarantee. If he's the nominee, if, if he's if he ends up being the nominee, you think it's a mistake for him <laughs> to run on it? What, I'm sorry, what did you say? If he ends up being the nominee, President Biden, do you think it's a mistake for him to run on Bidenomics? Well, I think Bidenomics doesn't go far enough. It is an incremental approach to healing this country, repairing this country. And that's why I said it's 2016 all over again. When Hillary Clinton said, let's just continue with the success of the last eight years, millions of people said, what success? I'm drowning here. And those people are still drowning. And the Democratic Party needs to recognize this. This is not a moment. I mean, I give the president credit where credit is due. But my image of the, the Band-Aid on the broken aorta was was correct. We have so many millions of people, one in four Americans living with medical debt, one third of our workers who live on less than $15 an hour, and half of them cannot even afford a place to live. We have thousands of people who are homeless who are actually working full time. 
We have 20, uh, our, our half of our seniors are living on less than $25,000 a year. So no, telling the American people things are going so well is viscerally, is in contradiction to the visceral experience of millions and millions of Americans. Not to mention the fact how many young people are concerned about the habitability of huge swaths of this planet due to the climate crisis when they're just reaching their, their blossoming peak years. So no, For- wrapping up fossil fuel extraction. Uh, no, this is not what the, the Democrats should be offering. Of course- we should be saying you're going to ramp it down. Marianne, you're, as you mentioned, we, uh, you are opening up a, an office in New Hampshire this weekend. Uh, Francis Fisher, you are supporting Marianne Williamson. She's running in the latest polls, 9% nationally, only 4% though in New Hampshire. Why are you supporting her? Why am I supporting Marianne Williamson? Because I believe everything that comes out of her mouth and she makes it accessible to the common man and woman. You know, what she said earlier about 20% of this country, it's like they're living on a house on a hill with big gates and walls around it, and everybody else in the country is drowning. And this is what the experience is for 80% of our people in this country. And I'm supporting her because she speaks the truth and she's not beholden to anybody. This this is a question to you both. Um, We know what's going on in California. There is a really big strike uh, with the with the actors, with the writers, the writers going on north of 100 days now, the actors uh, a little bit more than a month. Francis, I know you're one of the lead negotiators. President Biden talks about how he is the most pro-union president of all time. This is his demographic to both of you. Do you think President Biden needs to step in in this strike? Absolutely not. Look what happened with the railroad strike. Enough already. We can deal with it. The CEOs just have to come back to the table. We're on day 109 today with the WGA. We're day on day 36 for the SAG-AFTRA. And we were out today with over 2,000 people at Warner Brothers. We had the Latin community, the singers, the dancers, the actors, and the Teamsters all out there because we are not going to let this go this time. Last word, Marianne. Labor movement. Oh, well, movement. Francis is absolutely correct. Labor is revitalized now. There's a whole regenerative energy in labor today. They don't need the president stepping in. Uh, this is a, a time when labor itself, organized labor, is making its voice heard. And I agree 100 percent with what uh, with, with what uh, Francis just said. The last time the president stepped in with the railroad workers, it did not go well for the railroad workers. Stay out, Mr. President, and let labor have the power that it's meant to have. Marianne Williamson, Francis Fisher, thank you for joining us here on The Hill. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, Scott, uh, you're an ardent supporter, ardent backer of President Biden. You just heard that. You make of it. What do you make of it? You mean about her campaign chances for being president of the United States, Marianne Williamson? I'll give you, I'll give you whatever you, you whatever want. The floor is yours on a Friday <laughs> afternoon at 549. It's, it's not happening. There's no path forward for that. And it's a bit of an annoyance because we need to get all behind our candidate. And as you can see from the polling, on the union labor piece, I think the fact that Biden has so much union labor support, I don't see him getting involved unless he's asked to get involved by the union. This seems to this strike is going on a lot longer than most of us anticipated. And so we'll have to see. It's about some important issues, money and AI and all those issues. Uh, But I don't see Biden or the White House getting in. Uh, without being invited in and without the feds or the uh, Department of Labor or their negotiators jumping in by invitation. The president and his team have not engaged on RFK Jr. and on Marianne Williamson. Is that the right route? 
Well, I think that the Democratic operatives have engaged on RFK Jr., at least. I know that people are trying to kick him out and quiet him down because he draws a lot of attention from both Republicans, independents, and Democrats. So um, I'm not sure that Marianne Williamson has risen to that level where she needs to be addressed yet. But I really want to applaud women who jump in and run for office as somebody who did. Um, you know, politics are not kind to women like us. And I think that it's remarkable when women have the courage to step in. Um, not every woman is suited for the role, but I think every woman should get out there and try. Last word, Chris. Uh, Frances Fisher, 71 years old, looks amazing. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it just took me back. So Unforgiven is one of the greatest movies that's ever been made. Clint Eastwood, oh, a yes. true great American story. Frances Fisher plays Strawberry Alice in that movie. And it's an extraordinary portrayal. And seeing there just gave me chills, took me right back to that movie. <laughs> it was really, really cool. That was is that really a non-answer? <laughs> I think that's a non-answer. It's an absolute answer. <laughs> it is absolutely an answer. And look, you could you could take a story, hey, take man. a headline, th th make it whichever way you right. want. You're the one who chose to be me. You're the one who chose to be me. I went for the nice. And I'm the one standing up for diversity exactly. in the Democratic Party. I'm, I'm, I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking a message from my colleague at the end of the table. Me much either. So you can take a story and look at it any way you want. That's right. Coming up, stories that caught our eye before we go, including the former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Yes. And a very special celebration today. Before we go. All right. So before we say goodbye, here are some stories that caught our eye. Denise? There, you know, the best stories end with four-legged fur babies, in my opinion. <laughs> and in the midst fur of the deaf fur babies, <laughs> dogs, come on. Um... In the midst of all the tragedy of Maui, yeah. there are so many heartwarming stories about what people have done to save the lives of their, their beloved pets. Um, and I'm hoping that we're going to hear some stories back about, uh, similar to the campfire that actually burned Paradise, California to the ground, where there was a golden retriever waiting at the front, basically the former front doorstep of a right. house that had been burnt mm -hmm. down, and the family came home a month later, and he was still waiting. Wow. And, and I, I think that's good. I mean, that was the story that brought me to tears more than anything, and right. I'm really hopeful for the people that they get their therapy animals back. Mm -hmm. We know there's mass, there, there's big efforts right now in Hawaii to make I sure know, that doing all these dogs, job. these animals, I mean, of course you want to res rescue people course, and, and all that, yeah. but... There's the other side of this, too, there's, and there's, there's big efforts yeah, going on. Their family. There. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Scott? Cancer's on the rise. There's a report in JAMA that came out a day or so ago, big study, 500,000 people, and say young people between 30 and 39, um, some cancers are on the rise, hmm. primarily with white females, but all young people, male hmm. and female, trying to figure out the environmental factors, not sure why, but something to pay close attention to. You, you, they're getting cancer between 30 and 39 at a 20% higher rate. And they, they didn't say why? They, they, I guess trying they to figure it out. They a lot of environmental factors, of course, food, smoking, so forth and so on. But ironically, lung cancer, hmm. as I was reading in this report, is down, actually, okay. because there's so few smokers out mm. here, comparatively speaking. Yep. So I think there's something we ought to watch. Julia? So this weekend, uh, the Lionesses, the women's English uh, soccer team or football team, okay. will not be wearing white shorts. And we've seen a number of other soccer and rugby teams on the women's mm -hmm. side not wearing white shorts. A lot of this has to do with drawing attention to menstrual anxiety and hmm. wearing black shorts or navy shorts. Okay. And it's, you know, you see the men's team obviously not wearing 
wearing white shorts, so the women's teams are saying, well, we want to do this too. Every day I'm amazed at how women's soccer teams around the world have fought for um, equal rights and equality on the field, and I think this is another example of that. Great story. I'd love to hear the men's way in on this. Chris, as your lawyer, Chris, don't do it. Don't go there. I'm in a good place. The number one thing, the, the number one thing that's catching my eye, is a toffee-colored summer weight suit with a double-breasted <laughs> underneath. That is the number one thing that is going to catch anybody's eye. And as always, Scott's attire makes me jealous. I thought I was doing a pretty good job with a bow tie today, and then I come in and I've got Mr. Goodbar down here. And I I can't do anything All with right, it. So I can't do anything with it. Scott's attire would be a great one. But we got to mention Rosalind Carter, 96 years old today. Happy birthday to the former first lady. Thank you all for being here. That's it for us. Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. The man accused of murdering four Idaho college students is in court.